Amen. You may be seated as you're being seated. The title of the sermon this morning is uh, Your God is Too Small. There's a little book by J.B. Phillips by that title, uh, just a tiny little book, uh, been around for a long time. So why would, uh, why would I use that title? Uh, because one of the things that blows uh, my mind is when I read uh, the, uh, this account, the church is just weeks old, and a weeks old church has a big God. They have a big view of God, but I think Often in our lives, uh, we uh, have this diminished view of God so much so that he surprises us by his greatness and his uh, goodness. And I would say that most of us enjoy in life those kinds of surprises. Maybe you go to a restaurant, it's better than it was described to you as it would be. Or you uh, go see a movie and the movie turns out to be better than you thought it would be. I would just say to you that God is like that all day, every day. That he is greater and bigger and better than anything you and I could ever think or imagine. I think one of the reasons that, uh, that uh, I Like America's Got Talent is because of this, right? You see some kind of raw talent or somebody who doesn't look like they have any come to the stage and then all of a sudden they surprise you. So you get the point, right? She didn't look like she could sing and didn't act like she could sing, but now she, Susan Boyle, has a rather remarkable singing career. And, uh, and so I think some of these things are quite staged. I'll give you that. Like I think probably they knew what they knew before she got on the stage, but she was discovered I would say to uh, many of us this morning, maybe all of us in the room, that God is, is in a similar way discoverable by us, and uh, there are so many things about him you and I do not yet know, and there's so many ways we need him we do not yet know, and the early church faced this quickly. This is the first wave of persecution in this early church and in this first wave of persecution, their response is mind-blowing to me. It is so encouraging to me. And I want to say to you this morning that you will discover in your life at different times that you will be threatened as the early church was. Now, Peter and John had performed, uh, uh, or had, uh, God had performed this miracle through them, and the lame man who had been there for all his life, it seemed, is walking. He was over 40 years old. This is a story. Uh, they preach the gospel. They get thrown in jail. They get questioned, and they get told this, quit preaching the gospel. Don't say anything in that, meaning Jesus' name. And once that ends, they go back to their constituents, back to these followers, back to these believers. They go to these believers, and the believers respond with one act. They pray. They pray. It is a remarkable response. And from this prayer, we learn what to do when we, you and I, are threatened Number one, when you are threatened, remember who God is. Notice how they pray. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
Let me extract a small word for you, but it occurs 11 times in the New Testament, 10 of them in the book of Acts, and it is the word together. It means with one accord. There was a unity about them that was almost tangible. They were a together early church and they lifted their voices in one accord in unison. The second thing to note in the prayer is what they called God, sovereign Lord. This is not a term of endearment. You might be surprised that they don't appeal to God as Father here. They call him Sovereign Lord. This word is used of a slave owner and of a ruler of unchallengeable power. That's what Sovereign Lord means. So why is it at a time of great distress, they refer to God as a slave owner, as one with unchallengeable power? It is the same reason that when you were a child in trouble and you were in fear of some kind, you wanted your mom or your dad to break bad on whatever it was. And at that moment, you're glad that your mom and your dad have the capacity to step in and to take charge and to do what is needed. Because you do not appeal to their lovingness in the moment doesn't mean it does not exist. It simply means that their love is secondary in the moment to their power. And you and I at times will pray the same. We will pray to God in in our calling of him by his name. We will call out to him in light of attributes that we desperately need. And that's what they do. Sovereign Lord. They continue to say who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. They're remembering who he is. He is their master, but he also is their creator. He made them. What is the implication of God as creator? A couple years ago, two years ago last Thanksgiving, our kitchen flooded. Turned out it had been flooding for quite some time, and so we ended up having to rip everything out of it And for three months, had no kitchen. Black mold, all this kind of stuff. We just had to redo everything. Well, last year, I heard water. And I thought, oh, no. And it was in the kitchen. And I go, and I look underneath the sink, and it's dripping. 
and it's a brand new faucet, you know, that's a year and a half old or whatever. It's a brand new faucet. It's dripping. I cut the water valve off. I'm like, what in the world is going on? So in my throwaway mind, I thought, okay, it wasn't a cheap faucet, but things are made so cheaply today, I probably just need to get another one. I literally go on Amazon. It's on a Sunday night. I'm ordering it, and somebody says, why don't you call Delta? It's a Delta faucet. The next day, I call Delta, and when I do, the woman gets on, and she says, my na- she wants to know my name. I give her the, the faucet I bought. She says, okay, I'm pulling it up. I'm looking at it right now. Yes, yes. I, so tell me what's going on. I tell her, she said, well, I just walk to your sink, and I'm thinking, you have no clue who you're talking to because whatever problem we have is about to be much worse. I cannot do any plumbing ever now, never. She said, I promise you, I can walk you through how to fix your faucet. I walk to the sink. She says, take hold of this. I do. She says, you see that? I said, I do. She says, it's simply come loose. If you will go in there and do this, your faucet will be fixed. I'm like, you have more faith in me than I do. But I did what she said. I did exactly what she said. Sure enough, faucet hasn't leaked since. She said to me, now, this is our Delta promise. If this faucet leaks again, we may just need to send you another one, and we'll get it installed for you. We are committed to our products. I thought, what planet are you from? I didn't know people did this anymore. Why could she speak with such authority? Because her company made it. If God made it, he owns it. And that includes you and me. As a matter of fact, the psalmist in Psalm 24 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and he established it upon the waters. They appeal to God's character, to the fact that he is the creator. When you are threatened, remember who God is. As a matter of fact, in verse 29, they refer to themselves as slaves. Not as servants, but as slaves of him. I would just say to you this morning that if you need God to step in, I have seen him and you have seen him step in on more than one occasion. Amen? You've seen that. He is more than willing and he's more than able. When you are threatened, remember who God is. Secondly, when you are threatened, remember what God decided. Who through the mouth of our father David... They're praying. Your servant said by the Holy Spirit, and in their prayer, they quote Psalm 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. All right, just going to warn you, we're going to dive down deep a bit. So set up straight, think so I don't lose you here, don't want to. You can turn to Psalm 2, and, and I'll do that in my Bible. You may find that helpful right now because they're quoting Psalm 2. So let me tell you a bit about Psalm 2. A hundred years before Jesus was born, Jewish scholars said Psalm 2 has to be about whoever the Messiah is going to be. 
That was 100 years before Jesus was born. The Jewish scholars, not with Jesus in view, but simply knowing that the Old Testament pro uh, promised there would be a Messiah, Old Testament scholars, Jewish scholars said that this is a messianic psalm. It's in their writings and their studies. These early church, uh, uh, this early church and these early followers of Jesus said this is a messianic psalm. It points to the Messiah and the Messiah has to be Jesus because Jesus fulfilled this. How? Psalm 2 says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven, heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. That's the Messiah. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. That is yet to be. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. We just sang about that. He shall return in robes of white. That is yet to be. Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. That's Psalm 2. So these early church people pray in their prayer the first verse of this psalm. Well, verse 27 of Acts 4 is commentary on Psalm 2. It helps you understand what Psalm 2 is about. Who are the nations? The Romans. You could, you could sub in here, why do the Romans rage? And the peoples? The Israelites. The Jewish people who conspired to crucify Jesus. The kings? Herod, Pontius Pilate. It clearly marches through. And the rulers? The chief priests? and the scribes who incited the crowd to yell, crucify him. Psalm 2, prayed by the early church, they saw as being fulfilled in Jesus. Why do they pray it now? Verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Verse 4, he who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Go back to the, now to their prayer, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. The word predestined means to determine ahead of time. What are these people saying in their prayer? God, before Pontius Pilate was born, before Herod was king, before Annas and Caiaphas were in their ruling positions, you positioned them to do, look at verse 28, what your plan had predestined to take place. 
the Romans thought they were making a decision when in fact, God, you were. Pontius Pilate thought he was making a decision. Herod thought he was in charge when in fact, God, you were. When you are threatened, when you are threatened, remember what God has decided. Peter, preaching in chapter 3, says, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. The early church then sees the death of Christ as the will of God for the salvation of people. And in line with that, they see the persecution now beginning of Peter and John as also under the umbrella of the sovereignty of God. I would ask you, when you consider what it is you're going through, does it occur to you that maybe God isn't in control? Does the thought fly through your mind? God, I'm not sure you know. I'm not sure you're involved. God, did you see this coming? This this early church didn't miss a beat on that. What they are saying by their prayer is that they, the scribes and Pharisees, The Romans, Herod, Pontius Pilate are acting in ignorance. God is acting in knowledge. Let me give you two quotes, very good. One from J.B. Phillips' book, Your God is Too Small. He says, but let a man once see his God down in the arena as a man, suffering, tempted, sweating, and agonized, finally dying a criminal's death. He is a hard man indeed who is untouched. Yet, Caiaphas, Annas, Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Romans, many of the Jews untouched. But now I want to offer another quote to you. I I, I never do this. I do not know this author. I do not know if you should go read this author. I have never read one thing by this author except this quote, okay? But it is so good that it is worth me sharing, but I am not endorsing this author, okay? Here it is. The skeptic says that the believer has lost his own mind under God. All right, skeptics say that. How can you be a bright person and follow God? On the contrary, It is the people who follow God who are most like his children, who willingly and consciously walk in his will. But those who oppose him, oppose him vainly and at their own expense and figuratively seem to be more like his tools. They don't diminish his glory, but instead he still manages to use them in ways of unconsciously carrying out 
his will. What Chris Jamie is saying is that Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and Annas and Herod and the crowd were tools in the hand of a sovereign God. Peter and John and Mary and Mary Magdalene are his children to some degree aware of what is happening. All of life will divide you into one camp or the other. You will either by faith become a child or by default become his tool. He's God. He's that big. He's that in charge. If you find in you that you push against that, that's normal. But at some point, you'll have to quit pushing if you follow. He's God. He's in charge. When you are threatened, remember what God decided. Third, when you are threatened, remember what God wants. Decided is past, wants is present. I love this line of the prayer, and now, Lord. Every time you pray, you need to get there. What do they say? And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. That phrase, look upon, I think it's one word as I recall in the Greek. It is an unusual word. It's not often used, and it means, God, check it out. See it. Look at it. Look upon it. God, pay attention to what's going on here. It's okay to talk like that to him. They do. They say, God, look upon don't miss this. We want you to see, oh, sovereign Lord, we've submitted ourselves to you. They have not. Look at them. Look at what they're doing. Martin Luther says prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. He is laying hold of his willingness. That is so fitting. Notice what they didn't pray for. They didn't pray for protection. They didn't say, God, we tried. They're scary. We're done. They prayed what God wanted. They prayed for what God wanted. How did they know to do this? The Garden of Gethsemane. In that garden, Jesus knelt with the cross staring him down, the brutal beating, the, the nails, the weight of the sin of the world. And what was his prayer? Father, not my will, but what? Yours be done. 
Jesus prayed what the Father wanted. They did too. You and I must too. If we in our threatened, whatever that may be, are going to go through it, it it could be an untimely divorce, something you never saw coming. It could be the sickness of a child. It could be the disappointment of the loss of a job. It could be the disappointment in your own failure. Whatever it may be, there is a sovereign Lord who is in charge, who knows the end from the beginning, who still wants his will to be done in your life. Amen? He hasn't abandoned you. He hasn't checked off out on you. He hasn't taken you off of his radar. And in that moment, in that time of threatening, be it inner or outer, remember what he wants. What is it he wants? They get to it in verse 30. While you, Father, you God, you Lord, sovereign Lord, stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. That's how they got to preach. There will be signs, wonders, platform, preach. God, keep doing what you want. Not, God, protect us. I'm not saying it's not okay to pray that. It is the ultimate prayer to pray what God wants. I love this next little phrase, and when they had prayed, I like that. The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, And went home, back to their day jobs, and never talked about Jesus anymore. Amen? Glad you didn't say amen. And continued to speak the word of God with what class? Boldness. Wow. Wow. They didn't back down. They didn't back off. They didn't pull away. They, in their prayer, remembered who God is. They remembered what God decreed. And they remembered what God wanted. They remembered God. Years ago, I, my praise team is going to come. We're going to close with this. But years ago, I, I did youth ministry and uh, I tell you, if, uh, if you as parents had been around then, you would have fired me. No lie. It was pre-cell phone days, and uh, we had an old school bus that had been refurbished. Put that in quotes. Painted white instead of yellow. It was the bulk of the work, but we had put a couple of Coleman air conditioners like that go on campers on top of it, and when we would head out, by the time we got a mile up Old Fort Mountain, they had quit working. The windows were down, 
And we were praying, always summertime, that we wouldn't die in that thing. We had taken a few of the seats out in the back. This is a long, legit school bus. We had taken a few of the seats out in the back and hung a hammock up back there. Just, this is how we rolled. This particular time, we were headed to New Orleans. It was very hot. We were going to this mission in the rough section of town. When we get there to this mission, it's surrounded by a fence and barbed wire. A bunch of high school kids and myself and a few leaders. And as soon as we got there, the leaders of the mission stepped out and they said to us, you have five minutes to get this bus unloaded. Our eyes get huge and you've never seen a bunch of high school kids scurrying like that. Get the bus unloaded, it turned out that the year prior, this dear couple who served there had lost one of their children that they had adopted to a drive-by shooting at that mission. We discovered we're in the middle of it. We're in the thick of it. Hank Kaplan was driving that bus. He backed it into this barbed wire space. We get in there, and I look around at the faces of all of us and we know we're in a different world. It's a different world. Monday morning, we headed out. We're going to go in three teams, and we're going to serve, do backyard Bible club kinds of things, go door to door to these shotgun homes, invite folks to let their kids come and hang out with us. And these missionaries, this couple said, now listen, as you go, we're sending security with each of you. These are seasoned people from the community. They'll go with your team, and they will stay with that team, each one of you. And so the bus would head out then every morning, and we'd drop off a team and a security person, that person that would protect that team, and the next team, and that security person, and the next team. And there I'm sitting thinking, these parents are going to kill me because I'm putting their kids in this space I think it was on Tuesday morning. I don't know whose idea it was, but we were a singing bunch. And we got on that bus, and I think the fear was palpable. And somebody started singing. We're going to do a throwback. This song we're going to sing It's from Isaiah 43. And all of a sudden, all of us together, united in one voice, sang this. We sang it until the last crew was dropped off. We'd serve all day in that heat, be picked up that afternoon. I'd get on the bus first, and I prayed all day for those other teams under my charge. This song says, when you pass through the fire, I will be with you. When you go through the waters, I will be with you. You will not drown. It's based on Isaiah 43. I am the Lord your God. 
We're going to sing that together. Would you stand?